I always uh, wonder why sometimes we do things in our children's addresses that we don't do with the adults. Um, and uh, very often I've been in churches where sweets have been given out. Okay? Uh, now, there is method in my madness, so please don't uh, uh, get too scared here. So, basically, I, I visited um, my old haunt in Greystones yesterday, and I came across Auntie Nellie's traditional sweet shop, a bit like Auntie Sandra's in East Belfast. You know, when you go in, you see all the colours and the light reflecting off all the glass, well, clear plastic nowadays. And uh, it was, you know, every grandparent and grandchild's dream and every mother and father's nightmare. So uh, I got a couple of quarters of sweets here. uh, And I'm doing this for a reason. You've heard about the milk of the word and the meat of the word. uh, And how, you know, the New Testament uses that as an example. And Paul uses it as an example of how we uh, are to chew on the meatier bits of the word and Uh, There's also the simple milk of the word. Well, Tim Keller has said of Proverbs that Proverbs is like the boiled sweets of the world. That is that you let them go into your mouth and you suck slowly on them, letting the flavor uh, gradually get to you. You don't swallow them whole. You let them linger. Brilliant illustration for how Proverbs, which is a difficult book for us to get into, can actually be um, uh, imbibed by us. By It takes time. So this isn't just to keep you awake. Um, this is for this side of the church. Just take one and pass them down. And um, I don't want you guys choking when you're meant to be singing later on. So that's for, the, that's for this side of the church, okay? Uh, and I'm sorry, gallery, if there's anyone up there this morning, but uh, there might be some left by the time it gets to the, it gets to the back. Uh, The boiled sweets of the Word, uh, which help us to meditate on what God uh, is saying. They're doing their work over time. So we're looking at the book of Proverbs this summer. uh, And each week we're going to be reminding you of the context a little bit, as Christoph did last week. And we'll do it because I know attendance can be a little bit sporadic at this time of year, and you mightn't be here every week. So if you just look at these slides, we'll see that uh, there's a v- various sections of the Bible, and in the next slide you'll see that we are here in the wisdom books. Uh, and last week uh, we looked at how the book was structured. So the next couple of slides will show us how the book is structured. There's a prologue, uh, and then there's general exhortations, and there's the Proverbs of Solomon, the sayings of the wise, and then there's more sayings of the wise, more Proverbs of Solomon, and then the sayings of Agar and Lemuel at the end. So they're collections of wise sayings. And we asked three questions last week. We asked this, what has God provided for us in the book of Proverbs? And we realized that it was wisdom for everyday living. We asked, why has God provided that? And we discovered that it was to develop within us deep character, discipline, uh, knowing the way to live. And also we asked the question, how do we get in? How do we get in? And Proverbs 1 and 7, if you like, is the theme verse. Um, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge or the beginning of wisdom. So this morning we're going to move uh, and speak uh, about uh, the subject of our words or our speech, the use of our mouth, the use of our tongue, hence the reading from James. And in order to illustrate what I think are the key points that this book is trying to make 
about the tongue, I'll want to point out several verses or proverbs from the whole book. Uh, And this might be the case as the others take us through the rest of the book later on the summer. It's not your normal book. You're not looking at a passage, you know, verse by verse. And it might be difficult to jump about here and there throughout the whole the whole book. So I've got to be selective. Uh, and rather than have you jump about in your Bibles, I'll be putting the proverb up on the screen with the reference. You may want to jot down the reference and look it up later. Uh, but meanwhile, just look at the proverb and let the boiled sweet do its work. This is big picture stuff aimed to give you a flavor of the book and the truths and wisdom contained in it. But let's not forget the memory verse. Uh, fear of the Lord is the beginning or the foundation uh, of wisdom. That's how we get in. The fear of the Lord meaning an appropriate posture of humility and respect before God, an acknowledgement that there is a God and we have responsibilities to Him. That acknowledgement is the beginning. It is the first step on the road to acquiring wisdom. We start with God, and then we will start to know the wise thing to do. Maybe if you still struggle with this Jewish understanding of fear, fear of the Lord, it might be helpful to look at it like this slide here. Uh, One writer has said, as alphabet is to reading, as numerals are to mathematics, so fear of the Lord, which is a a united Hebrew construct, Yerai Adonai. So it it comes together. Uh, The fear of the Lord is to living. What is the basic fundamental ingredient of living? Well, it is understanding your relationship to your Creator. Someone else has written this. Next slide. Those who fear the Lord have no fear of anything else. Those who have no fear of the Lord end up fearing everything else. You see, it's true. Fear of God gives us a security in Him. No fear of, no respect for God means that you will live a disoriented life, a fearful life, fearing other people, fearing the future, fearing failure, fearing sickness, fearing death, fearing whatever it is. One final quote by way of introduction that I find very helpful in approaching the book of Proverbs comes from Douglas Stewart, and he has said this, Hebrew Proverbs don't state everything about a truth, but they point towards it. They are taken literally, often technically inexact. People will look at Proverbs and say, well, I don't think that's true. I don't think that's right. But as learnable guidelines for shaping selected behavior, they are unsurpassed. He goes on to say this, the proverb is not a categorical, always applicable, ironclad promise, but a more general truth. It teaches that lives committed to God and lived according to His will succeed according to God's definition of success. Because, you see, life and life choices are rarely about right and wrong, so much as they are about the wise or the less wise thing to do. One example, I think, which is tied in with this morning's topic is from Proverbs chapter 26, verses 4 and 5. Sorry, it's not all on the screen there. But these are consecutive verses in chapter uh, 26. Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will just be like him. Next verse, answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. It's funny when people keep talking to me about contradictions in the Bible, very few of them have read enough into Proverbs to be able to point out what seems to be the most obvious one. And yet it's not, is it? Because 
what we're actually understanding here is that there are certain circumstances where it's better to keep silence in the presence of fools and not to go down to their level, or we'll just be like them. If you just go back again, sorry, just go back to the slide, and uh, there will be other occasions, other circumstances where, you know, the best thing to do is just to be a smart back again, or else they'll think that they're the smart one and they won't realize the ridiculousness of what they're doing. And whether it's the time to speak or the time to be silent, as the other wisdom writer said in Ecclesiastes, is a matter of maturity and Christian wisdom. If we never say anything in the presence of folly, we could be complicit in it. If we always speak up and try to be as smart as the other person and offer an opinion on absolutely everything, just because we like the sound of our own voice, then we're also complicit in sin. It is wisdom to know when to do the right thing. So what about our words? I'm sure you've heard it said, a picture is worth a thousand words. Actions speak louder than words. That's all just talk and hot air. And all of those are true in their own place. Proverbs does point out the limitations of our words, the times when words are not needed. There is a time to be silent. Proverbs 10:19. Sin is not ended by multiplying words, but the prudent hold their tongues. There are those, for example, on whom words will be wasted. Proverbs 23 and 9, do not speak to fools, for they will scorn your prudent words. Bruce Walkey, I think, has written perhaps the most exhaustive commentary on Proverbs. Now, remember him saying on this topic, Proverbs encourage us never to debate with a mocker. John Lennox is a, a respected Christian scientist, an apologist and debater, made famous by publicly debating Dawkins and other new atheists. But I notice that Lennox is doing it less now. And I wonder, is it because he's discerning that sometimes there's a fine line between respectful debate among people who are genuinely on an intellectual search and leaving yourself open to irrational mockery? And unfortunately, some of the spokespeople for new atheism are simply mockers. It shouldn't surprise us that the greatest sage of all, the greatest wisdom teacher of all, used proverbs in his own teaching. If you read the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount is, I believe, a collection of wisdom literature. And you find in the Sermon on the Mount proverbs like, do not cast your pearls before swine. Words have their limitations. Proverbs speaks out, for example, against mere talk, 14 and 23. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. Actions speak louder than words. And in our culture, which when you think of it, there is ready access to information, internet, Wikipedia, texting, tweeting. It's probably the most wordy culture ever. And yet, paradoxically, we have a deep suspicion of words. We're skeptical of the words of others, especially those in authority. We're always searching for a hidden agenda. I studied literature, and uh, contemporary literary criticism has been influenced by theories that will undermine the meaning of a text. They'll downplay the author's intent. They'll deconstruct the text. They'll impose their own readings in the text. They'll say, well, really, a text can mean whatever you want it to mean. And all of that has deep implications for how we read Scripture and how we listen for God's words. So I think that, yeah, in today's culture, we get the fact that words have their limits. But there's a danger in all of this. 
And that is that too easily we can forget the power of words. You see, at heart, the culture of suspicion is self-defeating, and it's self-contradictory. Theories of deconstruction, etc., don't work because we were all created to communicate. We all want to be understood. If I went to a postmodern literary theorist and said, I've read your book on how texts have no meaning, and I really enjoyed it. I actually understood from that that I should really try to find out the meaning of what I'm reading. He'd go, no, 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 that's not what I meant. And I would say, oh, yes, so there was a meaning behind what you said. It just doesn't make sense. Words have power. Words communicate. In the early chapters, the father tells the son that it is important, chapter 4 and verse 20, to listen carefully, turn his ear to his words. Proverbs deals with many, many issues. We have a 10-week series carved out of it. There are some serious social ills. There are some serious sins highlighted. Murder is there in chapter 1. Adultery in chapter 7. Exploitation and slavery and social injustice. But maybe it's significant that we've started our series with the issue of our speech. Because maybe beside those other things I've mentioned, words seem trivial. Hardly worth a a mention in the list. And yet, Proverbs has far more to say about wisdom and speech than it does about any of those other areas. It says more about our tongues than it does about sexual issues, about money, about work, about justice, about government. Words, lips, mouth, speech, tongue, all appear far more regularly throughout the collection of Proverbs. Why? Quite simply because unwise words can be the cause and the result of many of those other things. Proverbs, I think, is preparing us for a later proverb uttered by that greatest wisdom teacher of all when he said on one occasion, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Because, you see, words expose what is deep within us. A number of years ago, I had uh, published an article on worship, uh, and I attended a conference in another part of Belfast uh, at which a very well-known Christian was speaking. He began his talk by mentioning me by name. Uh, We'd never met. Uh, Reading a bit of my article, Uh, where I gently questioned some of the things that he would have disagreed with. Uh, And then he threw the article behind him, ridiculing it and dismissing it. And a lot of people knew that I was in the auditorium. Uh, But let me tell you this. What he did was unwise. What he did might have been foolish and wrong. But boy, did I enjoy telling that story with his name in it, with great detail. And I reveled in his discomfort when he was told later that I was there. And I had to think about Proverbs 17 and 9, which said, whoever would foster love covers over an offense, but whoever repeats the matter separates. 
You see, what I may have said when I was retelling that story may have been true. But what was my motivation? Was it kind? Was it necessary? On another occasion, I knew that a friend of mine had been preaching in a certain church. And I spoke to somebody from that church and I said, how did he get on? And my friend said, oh, absolutely brilliant. He was superb. I said, great, I'm delighted. And he's, he's really good, isn't he? Yeah. And then he went on about his insight and his delivery and how, you know, he was the best speaker that had that year. And I had preached about three months before that. And, uh, you know, it was brilliant. It was just absolutely superb. And he had a real wit and a real way with words. And to the extent I was going almost, you know, well, he's not that good. Uh, and then eventually he said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he told this brilliant illustration, and he started recounting an illustration which I had told my friend about six months before. And when he had finished, suddenly, from nowhere within me, I heard myself saying, well, yeah, I know where he got that from. And then I had to say, well, where did that come from? Why did I suddenly need to defend myself? Why was I suddenly, utterly, irrationally threatened by my close friend's helpful ministry? What sort of insecurity had I uncovered within myself that I somehow felt the need to undermine him? My words had betrayed me. My words expressed some things in me that needed a bit of soul surgery. Lots of things are around which we may regard as much more serious sins than bad talk or gossip. But so many of them have their genesis in the tongue. If you believe that economics is the crucial issue of today, Proverbs says in 19 and 1, it's better to be poor and have a walk that's blameless than be a fool whose lips are perverse. If you think murder is the greatest sin, Proverbs groups a lot of things together. The Lord detests haughty eyes, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood. If you think that theft and greed and adultery are wrong, they all have their, their root in the tongue. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare, 21 and 6. And then Proverbs 2 and 16 on the series on adultery. Wisdom will save you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. Five and three, for the lips of the adulterous woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And 721, with persuasive words she led him astray, she seduced him with her smooth talk. Yes, adultery can be catastrophic for those involved directly and indirectly, but it doesn't take place in a vacuum. It starts when we let our tongues get out of control. And for that reason, the tongue and its misuse can be the most serious of all. One commentator made the interesting comment that he says this, I have never seen a whole church destroyed or ruined by adultery, but I've seen several destroyed, divided, and decimated by gossip. Interesting. I want to emphasize in the midst of all the suspicion that we may have in our culture about words that we cannot underestimate the power of words. Don't underestimate their power to destroy. To destroy your life. Proverbs 6 and 2. You have been trapped by what you said and snared by the words of your mouth. 18 and 21. The tongue is the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. There are consequences to what we say. 
Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Nonsense. It's a myth. I'm sure I'm not alone when I say of all the things that still can hurt and smart and come to me in the middle of the night if I'm awake and the memory dredges up stuff, it's never any physical blows or pain that I have suffered, but it's nearly always stuff that people have said. Insults, lies, slander, reputation killers. But it's also stuff that I'm remembering that I have stupidly said to others, and I know that it has hurt them. Proverbs 12 and 18, the words of the reckless pierce like swords. 15 and 4, a perverse tongue crushes the spirit. 15 and 1, a harsh word stirs up anger. They have power. They've not power just to destroy ourselves or individuals, but they have power to destroy whole communities. Proverbs 11 and 11, through the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted, but by the mouth of the wicked, it is destroyed. This is perhaps one of the most famous states in the Northern Ireland calendar, either because people flock together to celebrate or run away to avoid. The 12th of July, well, of course, this year it's not today, it's tomorrow. I've always been a bit bemused by that Sunday thing. You know, when I was growing up, I was told that this was a religious event or a Christian festival even an act of worship. And I thought, well, if that's the case, it would seem appropriate to have it on a Sunday. But then others told me, and as I grew up, I saw firsthand lots of things that were decidedly unchristian and ungodly taking place. And I thought, so what's the deal? Is it okay if we're drunk, lewd, hateful, sectarian, so long as we don't kick the Pope on a Sunday? Always been bemused by that. But I wonder how many of the words uttered on platforms or in fields or in parades on this date over the decades have been wise words, have been helpful and healing words, have been words that exalt a city, and how many have actually contributed to the destruction of communities and of our city. Because there's another side. Words do have power to destroy, but words also have the power to heal. Look at the other half of some of those proverbs I showed a couple of minutes ago, 12 and 18. The words of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. 15 and 4, the soothing tongue is a tree of life. And 15 and 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath. We all know that words can pierce. We've been on the receiving end of that. But words can also bring healing. 16 and 24, gracious words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. I think it's something about the perversity of our own hearts, isn't it? That we're always inclined to believe the bad stuff that people say about us and about others rather than the good. We'll remember 10 criticisms rather than one encouragement. And that's often got special uh, application when it comes to listening to God's words for us. We can be deaf to the good news of the gospel. But you see, if we're open to being givers and receivers of gracious words, people who listen to God's gracious words to us, and people who are prepared to speak healing and gracious words to other people, then a whole new possibility opens up before us. 
We can become healers. Again, jump ahead to the wisest person of all. Have you ever wondered why Jesus spoke when he healed? Think about it. Little girl, I say to you, get up. Take up your mat and walk. Go, your faith has made you whole. Lazarus, come out. So many of his miracles involved verbal communication. And that's before we get to the emotional and spiritual healing power of his teachings. Nobody taught like him. His words of comfort and encouragement to his disciples. The soothing power of his voice in the garden to grieving Mary. The great healer was a great speaker. He used words to great effect. Proverbs 18.20 says, From the fruit of their mouth a person's stomach is filled. With the harvest of their lips they are satisfied. What sort of harvest do you want from your words? I've often heard and possibly preached many sermons where there was a general application at the end along the lines of, I wonder what difference it would make if for the next week we all dot, 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 read our Bibles more, looked out for disadvantaged people more, prayed more. And often that's where we leave it, wondering. But this week I really did wonder what difference it might make if for the next week we thought before we attempted to speak. How will my words bring healing? What harvest do I want from my words? Because of all the myths that I've mentioned about words this morning, I think the most dangerous is the one that simply says, hey, it's only words. Because words have eternal consequences. Words have eternal consequences. Don't forget Proverbs 4 and 4. Take hold of my words with all your heart. Keep my commands and you will live. 12 and 19. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue lasts only a moment. 10 and 11. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Our words betray our inner character. They can either destroy us and destroy others, often very slowly, chipping away at our souls, making us more bitter, more grumpy, more miserable. Or they can heal and bring life. Our words can be indicators of our eternal destiny. Our words can pave the path to heaven or hell. Sometimes when there's been sermons about our words or parts of sermons about our words, they may have focused or maybe your mind has simply focused on a list of certain prescribed swear words that you shouldn't say. And let me say that that list can usually be quite arbitrary and culturally conditioned. And we feel good if we score zero or low on the list of bad words. And we feel guilty if we score high. But Proverbs knows nothing about a list of prescribed words. Because I know people who never use any of those words, but who can ruin people with their tongues their smartness, their snideness, their sneering, their bitterness. And I know very godly people who speak well, but who might, if filled with righteous anger, let some strong words out to describe something particularly evil. It's not about the words. Proverbs is much more concerned with our speech, why we speak about others, our motivation. Is it kind? Is it necessary? about the way we speak to others, about our tone. Not what you say, it's the way that you say it. 
Many of you know Gwen and I just back from our first ever cruise. Uh, it was very interesting. Uh, and I don't think in the two weeks, I, don't think, I think we hardly ever heard a swear word at all the whole two weeks. But boy, were there some grumpy, spoiled, older people from other parts of the world. <laughs> I mean, would never swear, but I mean, just let the hairdresser be double booked or the manicure, the shade of the manicure not be quite right. And that was only me. <laughs> just let room service be five minutes late. And you heard some words that weren't coming out of a, a wise heart. And you wonder, what, what world do people live in? So yes, I would like us all, myself included, to, to think before we speak, to try harder, to be more gracious in our words. But I know as well as anyone else that I'm going to fail. Unless, unless I get back to the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1 and 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You want to you get wisdom, you go to the start, you go to the beginning. What else was at the beginning? What else was at the beginning? In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How about letting our words reflect the Word? How about letting our words point other people to the living Word became flesh of God, the one who spoke wisdom and spoke healing, the one who is the Word and who we are to honor through our words. We have a God who speaks and whose words are important. And since we're made in His image, we are to speak, and our words are also to be of importance. We are to speak grace into our hurting world and into our hurting, divided city. We're to speak life over the ashes of bonfires and hope over the noise of parades and love over the cacophony of speeches and forgiveness over the shouts of protesters. Because by our words, our city can be exalted. And yet by our words, it could also be destroyed. By our words, let the broken be healed. By our words, let there be a harvest that satisfies and brings joy to our Father's heart. The living Word speaks into our lives words of wisdom. And He can infuse our words with grace and healing. So let our tongues be at His disposal. And let Him be heard in our city and in our lives.